Well, hey, if you've got your Bible, open up to Nehemiah. If you're in Psalms, go left. If you're in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, go right. It's probably about the uh, 15th book in the Old Testament somewhere, Nehemiah. We're not going to, we're going to start in chapter one. Uh, we're not going to begin a book study. We're going to be looking at the life, or, or more importantly, the calling of Nehemiah. He's going to be given a, a burden, a call uh, by the Lord. And one of the questions I get asked as a pastor pretty often is, how did you know that God was calling you to be a pastor? Because as Christians, we kind of say things like, God's called me, he's led me. And to the outside world, to the non-believer, they really don't know what that means. I mean, God has never called them to anything. And, and perhaps there's even some Christians that say, well, I've never really been called to do anything either. So I thought, we, I thought we'd take a look at Nehemiah and, and sort of how his calling unfolds. We'll, we'll look at it this week, and then we'll also look at it next week. We'll, we'll start the study this week, and we'll finish the study uh, next week. Now, typically, when the book of Nehemiah is taught, well, I shouldn't say typically, oftentimes it's taught from a, from a, uh, a leadership perspective. Nehemiah is a strong, godly leader. He's got vision. He's a man of prayer. He's directed by God. So if you, if you look at it from that sense, there's some fantastic leadership principles Christian leadership principles in there that will help you if you oversee people if you were, or, or to lead. But I think what we're going to do in, in our study is we're going to kind of look at it from Nehemiah as a man, as, as a guy, as a man with a job, and then a calling of God is placed on his heart, and he has to respond, he has to wait, he has to pray, he has to do the same things that you and I would have to do if the Lord were calling us to do something. A little bit of background here. Because this is about the nation Israel. The nation Israel was birthed out of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes. And they, they were birthed out of Egypt. And they crossed over the promised land. And they dwelt in the promised land for a number of years. And eventually the, they, the, the nation split after Solomon. Uh, the 10 northern tribes became Israel. The two southern tribes became known as Judah. Eventually the Assyrians uh, uh, conquered the northern tribes and eventually in about 600 BC Nebuchadnezzar captures Judah and also including Jerusalem from that point at the at, told that story is told at the end of second Kings he takes all of the Jewish people or most of the Jewish people living in Jerusalem or Judah and he takes them all to Babylon Daniel would have went Shadrach Meshach Abednego and they go all to Babylon he's trying to displace them the Jewish people they still remain Jewish in Babylon but they've kind of assimilated into the Babylonian culture. About 70 years pass, and all of a sudden, as Daniel predicted, Daniel saw this happening, he told them, the Jews began to go back to Jerusalem, go back to Judah, and began to rebuild the temple under Ezra and Zerubbabel. Uh, they were going back to rebuild the temple. Uh, so another 100 years pass after that, and from that time, they have a, a kind of a People are kind of going back to Judah, but there's not a whole lot of them. There's probably, uh, they suspect that there was about 3 million taken out. And at this point, there's probably about 50,000 uh, people that are going back to Judah. So I need to kind of tell you where we're at in the book of Nehemiah. It's about 445 B.C. So they, they, the Jews, Judah was defeated in uh, in Babylon, in, by, by the Babylonians in 600 BC, so we're about 445 BC, so roughly 150 years have passed, so Nehemiah would have, would have been born in 
uh, in Babylon. He didn't come from, from Judah. He has no connection to Judah. His family came out of Judah, but he would have been born in Babylon. So it's been about 150 years. It's been about 15 years since the end of the book of Ezra, just to kind of give you a chronological time period. So, and we're going to meet this man, Nehemiah. So if you'll just follow along with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkalah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev. That's the ninth month. So it's the ninth month of the year in the Jewish calendar. In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, the citadel is the palace. He's in Shushan, he's in the palace. That Hanani, one of my brethren, this is my Jewish brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, he's, we're going to find out he's a cupbearer for the king in Babylon. Some, some friends, some family, some Jewish brothers come from Judah, from Jerusalem, and he asks them, how are things going? Now by this time, uh, the, temple had, the temple had been rebuilt, but he wants to know what's going on with the people. He's got an interest in his, in his people. He's got an interest, he cares about the Lord's people, about God's people, about the Jewish people. So he's trying to figure out, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's happening down there? He's got a, a burden for that. And they said to him in verse 3, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the providence are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Wow. Nehemiah gets the news. It's not very good news. What's going on with our brothers back in Jerusalem? How are they doing? It's not good, Nehemiah. The walls, they're laying in ruins. The gates that once hung and protected the city of Jerusalem, they're broken down. The people, they're oppressed. They're sad. They're living in poverty. They're fearful. The other, they're, they're, they're not living in, a, in, a, in comfort. They're not living in security. They're, they're stressed out. They're worried. It's not what Nehemiah wanted to hear. But I want to just kind of share something with you. Because he cared about God's people, because he cared about his people, the, the nation of Israel, there's a burden happening in his heart. You see, God's going to call him to go back to Jerusalem. But what God's doing first is he's putting a burden in his heart for the people of Jerusalem, for his people back in Judah. He's putting a burden there. Oftentimes the calling of God will begin in your life with a burden from God about something. You see, Nehemiah has a burden from God for the people. God's built that into him. So when people come to me, they say, well, how did you know God was calling you to be a pastor? Well, I had a burden to teach. I just had to start teaching as I was learning. I just, I, I couldn't hold it back. I just, I, every, every opportunity I got to teach, I just wanted to teach. I wanted to share what God's word had done in my life with other people so God's word could affect their life. It was a burden that, that, that not everybody has unless you're called to teach. You're not going to, some of you guys go, I'm never teaching in my life. I don't want to teach Sunday school. I don't want to teach anything. I just want to sit and listen to someone else teach. That's okay. God hasn't put that burden in you. He might put another burden in you. He might put in a burden in you for children or to become a missionary or to do, do, do whatever, he, whatever burden that he creates in you. His calling oftentimes begins with that burden that says, this is, I, I got to do something about this. I can't let this go on. This is where Nehemiah is at. Look, how, look at his response there. Verse 4, so it was when I heard these words, when I heard about the reproach, when I heard about the walls and the gates, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned 
for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. There's a difference between a burden that God places in your heart and an emotional response to something. Remember when they used to have the commercials on TV with the starving kids so you could, for less than a cup of coffee, you could, you know, support a child somewhere. And, 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 and that's true. But what are they looking for? They're looking for an emotional response. Or now, now they do the dogs. You, can, you see the starving dogs and for less than a cup of coffee, you can support the dogs and they can be happy and healthy and all that kind of stuff. What are they looking for? They want you to respond. Emo- they don't want you to think about it. They don't want you to rationalize it. They don't want you to pray about it. They just want you to just pick up the phone, call the entered number for X amount of dollars. You can make a difference, but then they want you to feel good about yourself. You see, with the burden of the Lord, with the burden Nehemiah has, this is more than an emotional response. It caused him to stop what he was doing. I got to stop. I got to I, I sit down. It means, it means he's stopping. I'm, I'm stopping. Everything's stopping. I, got, I have to evaluate. Why am I feeling this way? Why all of a sudden do I have this burden placed on my heart? What's going on here? I got to sit down. And what did he do? He wept. Somebody without the burden from the Lord, they might look and go, yeah, that's too bad for the people of Israel. I wish, they, I wish things would be better for them. They don't have the burden. They're not weeping over them. But Nehemiah says, I'm weeping over them. I'm crying over what's happening. I'm weeping. And it's not just, the reason you know it's not emotional, because emotions go up and down, don't they? It says he did it for how long? Many days. Many days. If you want to determine, is the burden that God has put on my heart, is it emotional or is it from the Lord? Just keep, stop what you're doing, wait, pray, fast, like we're going to see that he does, and see if it continues. I can't tell you how many times I've been somewhere, I've heard about a missionary, I've heard somebody say something, and I want to support them. I want to give them money, I want to help them. But you know what I've learned to do? Just wait. See if next week I'm still thinking about them. If next week goes by and I'm still thinking about that missionary, then I think, and, I, and, the, and I've been praying, Lord, do you want me to support them? Then I'll support them. But many times, you know what happens? Out of sight, out of mind. They're not there. They're, they're gone. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not there. But if it's the Lord's truly putting a burden on your heart for something they're doing or for something he wants you to do, it's not going to go away. It's not just going to dissolve or to fade away in time. Nehemiah does something very important. He begins praying and fasting. Lord, I don't know what's going on. Can you imagine? imagine just imagine here he is. He's the cupbearer for the king. He's got this burden for the people. He wants to do something, but he can't do anything right now. So he begins praying and fasting. Fasting meaning he's skipping meals. He's spending time praying instead of eating. He's telling his body no just so he can meet with the Lord and the Lord will give him direction. I wonder what his prayer was like. I wonder what he was praying. I'm glad you asked because he tells you in verse 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. Now, just pause for a moment there. Nehemiah understands the power of God. He says, you're the Lord God of heaven. There might be a king of this city or a king of that empire, but you are the God of heaven. You are the great one. You are the almighty one. Oh, great and awesome God. And then he goes on. Who keep your covenant and mercy with those you love and observe your commandments. He also recognizes God's faithfulness. This is a good way to start your prayers. Do you know that? If you go, I'm not really sure how I... I'm not sure how to pray. Start with praying, remembering who God is. 
He's the great I am. He's the almighty. He's the, the God of heaven, the God of earth. He start, start out praising him for who he is. And then remember his faithfulness. That's what, that's what he's doing. You keep your commandments, he says. Please, verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Listen to me, Lord, is what he's saying. That you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. How often is he doing this? Day and night. This is a constant prayer. I'm praying before you, Lord. Why? He's got a burden from the Lord. He's got a calling from the Lord. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. So he's remembering God's greatness. He's remembering God's faithfulness. And he's reminding God of it. It's always good to remind God of his own promises. Do you know that? You don't, he already knows them, but it's good. He's re, he likes it when you tell him about it. It means you're reminding him of it. Aren't you glad that his promises are yes and amen? And that we don't have to go, well, I hope he honors that one today. I I, well, man, he's not really faithful on that one. No, no, it's just he's always faithful on his promises. Here he is, Nehemiah is praying day and night. What's he praying for? For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. In other words, Lord, we've sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Another great aspect of prayer is repentance. Lord, I've sinned. My people have sinned. My fathers have sinned. We've sinned against you. Forgive us, essentially, is what he's saying. The power of God, the faithfulness of God, repentance from your sins. And then he's going to go on to remind God of his promises. Verse 8, remember, I pray the word. I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. In other words, I remember, Lord, when you told. This shows he knows God's word. Even though he wasn't born in Judah, even though he wasn't born in Israel, he was born in Babylon, he knows the word of God. I know that you made a promise with Moses that if our people are unfaithful, you're going to scatter them among the nations. Now, be careful. God's promises to the nation Israel are still in effect. Sometimes people want to take them and apply them to New Testament Christianity. Sometimes God will use them in your life, but they're not unequivocal like they are to the nation of Israel. God is not done with the nation of Israel and his promises are still in effect. When he said to Moses, if you, if you leave me, if you follow idolatry, I'm going to scatter you, that was going to happen. He told him it would happen. And what happened? It happened. It was going to take place. But he also told them, verse 9, but if you return to me and you keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, Yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. In other words, Nehemiah in his prayer, he is reminding God of his promise to the nation of Israel. Lord, you said that if we followed other gods that you'd scatter us. But you also said that if we came back to you, you'd bring us back to our land. You'd do it by your great power. You'd do it by your strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, I pray, please 
Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants. Listen, Lord. And to the prayer of your name, your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. In other words, let me prosper this day and grant him, this, he's talking about himself here, grant me, Nehemiah, mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I like his prayer. The faithfulness of God, the promises of God, repentance, and reminding him. Of, 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 and he's also talking about uh, the power of God in there. What, that, that is a great formula for prayer. It's a fantastic formula for prayer. And he gets to the end. And he says, but God, there's a problem. God, you've burdened me with this love for my people. You've burdened me with this desire to go back to Judah and rebuild these walls and these gates. <coughs> you've, you've called me to do this in a sense. He wants to go do it. He says, but I need mercy in the sight of this man. Why? Because Nehemiah worked for the king. So here's the problem. Nehemiah's got a calling from God. I believe that he knew the Lord wanted him to go back and do this. But his problem was he was a cupbearer for the king. Now, we don't have cupbearers today, but you know what a cupbearer did? He tasted the king's wine and tasted the king's food to check to see if it was poisoned. You might go, well, that's not a very good job. Because what if it is poisoned? Actually, it was a very good job because it was somebody who had to be very, very close to the king and who the king had to trust implicitly. Because who could easily poison the king? The cupbearer. Sure, tastes good to me. Here you go, king. And, and he's gone. But because he was so close to the king, he also got to talk to the king. He befriended the king. The king would have turned to him for advice. There was a friendship built because he was always tasting, always eating, always sitting at the king's table. So it was considered a high job, high level in the, in the kingdom. It, was, it wasn't a low level job. It was an extremely high level job. And here is Nehemiah with this high level job that he probably, if, 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 under normal circumstances, if he said, king, you know, I don't think I want to be the cupbearer anymore. What would the king think? Why not? What do you know that I don't know? off with his head you didn't just get to walk out and go, I think I'm just gonna go change my career I'm gonna do something else this I'm done being cupbearer you know I've had a good run for 20 years I haven't died you haven't died we're good let's call it quits before while we're on top he's gonna say no way it's not happening you can't do that so Nehemiah he's stuck he's got this calling from God but yet he's got this circumstance in his life that's preventing him from fulfilling the calling what could he do well I suppose he could just kind of go rogue and sneak out at night and go, well, God will protect me. God will call me. There I go. I'm going to go fulfill God's calling on my own. That wouldn't be in the power of God. That would be in the power of Nehemiah, wouldn't it? What does he ask for in his prayer? Mercy in the sight of this man. Lord, give me mercy in the king's sight. In other words, God, I believe you're calling me to this, but I'm going to have to wait and let you work it out. You say, Rob, why is that really important for, for us? Because many times the Lord calls you and I in the very same way. He'll put a burden on your heart for something. It'll be for kids, it'll be for missions, it'll be for a country, for a people, it'll be something that the Lord says, this is where I want you to work, this is where I want you to serve me at, this is what I want you to do. And you go, but I, I can't do it right now. I, I can't, I, 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 and, and sometimes people try to make it happen in their own strength. They wanna do it all by, uh, charge, full speed ahead, let's get it all done, I gotta handle it right away. Nehemiah spent time praying, he spent time fasting, what did it say? Day and night. His circumstance that was preventing him was his career, was his job. And his job, he could not just quit. Look at chapter 2. 
And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, just hold on there for a second. He's in the month of Nisan. Previously, at the beginning of chapter 1, he was in the month of Chislev. The month of Chislev is the ninth month. The month of Nisan is the first month of the Jewish year. So he's been praying and fasting four months. 10, 11, 12, 1, four months, right? No, it's three. No, it's 10, 11, 12, 1. Four months he's been, he's been praying and fasting. How often do people get a burden for the Lord and they've got to move on it right away? How often do they, they just, they want to get it done. They want to try to do it in their own strength. And I would say, hold on. Let the Lord open the doors. Let the Lord make the plans. Let the Lord show himself strong. Let the Lord show himself what he's doing here. You know, let, let, it, let it unfold. So Nehemiah has been praying and fasting for four months on a regular basis, day and night. And here he is in the first month. He's doing what he always does. He's giving wine before the king. And now, I, verse, at the end of verse 1, it says, Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. You say, why would he be afraid? Rob, that doesn't make any sense. Well, the king was believed to be such a great person, such a happy person, that nobody should ever be sad in his sight. Now, I know that's a little arrogant, but that's what they believed back in that day. So because he was so great, you should always be happy in his sight. And here's Nehemiah, not happy in the king's sight. But yet the king notices it's not, it's not just something that happened. He says, since you are, why, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. In other words, Nehemiah, I see something in you. You're not yourself. What's going on? There's something, you, you're, there, there's a sadness in you that you can't cover up. Your, your heart is breaking for something. This is the burden of the Lord. This is the burden that God has put on his heart that says, I, I've got work for you to do. And now all of a sudden, Nehemiah goes, oh, no, I'm about to die. He, the king could kill me for this. So I became dreadfully afraid. Verse 3, he said to the king, may the king live forever. That's a good thing for a cupbearer to say. Live forever, king. May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? He answers the king. You know, I, I think he had this planned. I think he had, I think he had thought this through. You're going to see that there's a plan that unfolds here. He didn't just, he's not winging it, so to speak. I think as a leader, as a man of God, in his prayer and fasting, I think he began to discern, if I get a chance to ask the king something, I'm going to say something. If I get, this is what I would say. How could I summarize it in a way where it would be quickly understood? And so he says, king, why shouldn't I be sad? Why should my face not be sad when, I, when my city, the place where my fathers are buried, lies in waste and the gates are broken down? And then he probably held his breath and the king said to him, what do you request? What do you want, Nehemiah? What do you want? You're sad. What do you want? Now, what would you have said? What would you have done in that situation? I want you to look what Nehemiah did. What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He's got an audience with the king. He didn't know what day it was coming, but he was prepared for it. 
When the Lord burdens your heart with something, you too need to begin to prepare, begin to make plans, begin to take classes, begin to do what you need to do to fulfill the calling of the Lord. And when the time comes where he has an audience with the king, it says he prayed. Now, I don't think he got down on his knees and prayed right there. This was one of those quick prayers. This is one of those, Lord, help me. I think that's all he said. Lord, I need help. And if you haven't learned to pray and listen at the same time, you need to. There's many times in your day where you need to be like, Lord, I need help here. I'm not sure what to say to this person. I'm not sure how to answer this question. When people begin to unload things on me as a pastor, they begin to say, I need to talk to you. And they begin to talk to me. And they begin to unload something, some major problem in life. Do you know in my mind, I'm going, Lord, help me. Give me the answer. Give me the scriptures. Give me the words. Give me what you want to say to them. Don't let me answer in the flesh. Lord, I need you to help me there. I don't say that. They think I'm just listening to them. But in my heart, I'm praying like crazy. Lord, give me some, your wisdom, your insight to be able to deliver them some hope and some answers or some reasons or some scriptures of whatever I can do. Give it to me, Lord. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He prays to the God of heaven. And then in verse 5, he says to the king, if it pleases the king, in other words, if you want to, here's what I need. And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah. Send me back, king, to the city of my father's tombs. Why? That I may rebuild it. Now, think about that for a moment. That's a pretty lofty goal, don't you think? I mean, Judah's laying in ruins. Jerusalem's laying in ruins. And here's Nehemiah going, king, I'm going back to, send me back so I can rebuild it. You think the king might have laughed at him. You rebuild it? He doesn't laugh at all. He knows Nehemiah's character. He knows Nehemiah's abilities. What does the king respond to him? And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? How long are you going to be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him, and I set him a time. So the king said, Nehemiah, how long are you going to be? And whatever it was, we're not sure. He, didn't, he doesn't tell us here. He says, this, I'll be back. Okay. The king says, go ahead. And the king says, go ahead, you can go. But Nehemiah's not done. He goes, wait a minute, he's planned this out. Remember, he's thought, I've got to get from here to there. I need wood to build gates. I need supplies. I need safe passage. Look what he says. Then he says to the, then, then the I'm sorry, verse 7, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city walls, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. In other words, he had a plan. He thought this out. He had a time frame. He knew that he would need letters for safe passage. He had it all planned out. I believe that in his prayer time, the Lord said, this is what you need to ask for, Nehemiah. This is, what you, this is what you need to go for. This is what you're going to need. But then notice who got the credit. Nehemiah didn't say, well, because I was a good negotiator, because I knew how to really deal with that king, I really got him on my side. I, really, I know how to talk to the king. He said, no, according to the good hand of my God that was upon me. In other words, he said, this is a God thing. God's doing something. God's doing a work here. When the Lord burdens us with something, and we wait for the Lord to open the door. And the Lord opens the door. And then the Lord 
provides the steps, provides the plans, provides the things. As we seek him in prayer and fasting, provides all the necessary things. When we sit back, we say, it's not me. It's a God thing. I've watched many men go out to start churches. I've watched some do it as a God thing. I've watched others do it as a man thing. They've done it. They've marketed it. They've tried to make it. Some work, some don't. But I know for me in my life, I've always wanted to be like Nehemiah. I just, let the Lord work. Let the Lord open the doors. Let the Lord provide safe passages. Let the Lord provide the timber. You didn't even have to pay for it. Just go get the timber. Now, can you imagine what Nehemiah is going to look like rolling through town with his wagons full of wood and, and gates and everything else that he's bringing into, the, into Jerusalem? He's going to get everything. It says, then, verse 9, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set captains of the army and horsemen with me. The king sent protection with him. And by the way, this distance that Nehemiah is traveling, it's about 800 miles. So from here to North Florida, roughly. Now you and I can get in a car and drive that in about 12 or 13 hours, but he's on donkeys and camels and pulling wagons and things like that. Probably close to a two month journey is what, what he's looking at. About two months he sets off. He's got his protection. He's got there. And then look at verse 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Don't you know that if you're taking a step of faith, if the Lord has called you to do something, he's equipped you to do it, and if he calls you, he will equip you, and you set out to do it, don't you know there's going to be naysayers? There's going to be people who are going to come against you. There's going to be people that tell you you can't do it, you're not qualified, you're not equipped. There's going to be people, even within your own family, that say you can't do this. You're not ready for this. You don't know how. What are you, crazy? What about, what about your life? What about your job? What about this? What about that? They're going to try to bring all this logic behind it. Was it logical for Nehemiah to leave his position as a cupbearer in a powerful kingdom? He had a great job in a great kingdom to leave and go to an unknown town that he'd never, probably never been to. Maybe he is. We're not sure. I, I'm not sure if he's been there or not at this point. Is it, is it logical for him to just, no, no, I'm leaving everything and I'm going out here. It wasn't logical. There's danger involved. There's uncertainty involved. But he knew the Lord was behind him. And there in verse 10, we begin to be introduced to those who are going to come against him. Look at verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So let me just give you the picture. Here comes Nehemiah rolling into the city of Jerusalem. He's got lumber behind him. He's got stuff to build gates behind him. He's got people with him. He's got the king's army with him. He's rolling in like a pretty powerful guy. And he didn't tell anybody why he was there. No banner. No radio program call-ahead stuff. No, 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 let's get the people all pumped up. No plan. No nothing. He sat there for three days. What was he doing for three days? I suspect he's waiting on the Lord. Lord, what do I do now? What's my next step? Now, he, he could have come in and go, let's get going. We got busy. We got plans. We got to do this. And you do this. And you do that. And you do this. And let's get started here. Not what he does. He waits for three days. 
And then in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, he went, verse 13, I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. In other words, the stones were piled up. Everything was knocked down. He couldn't even ride through the gates. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. In other words, he goes out in the middle of the night. What's he doing? He's surveying the land. He's looking at the, what, what's, the, what's the shape of everything? He heard about it, but now he's looking at it. How, how, bad is, how bad are things? What's it really look like? What was he doing there? I suspect that it, the scripture doesn't tell this, but I'd be willing to bet he was praying. I bet he was, Lord, where do we start? How do we do this? How do I tell them? What if they're not on my side? What if they say, no, you're crazy? We already tried to rebuild those walls, which they had several hundred, well, probably a hundred years earlier, and they'd been shut down. They didn't succeed. What if it doesn't work, Lord? What if there was doubt in his heart? Lord, what do I do? It's been three days. I'm not sure what to do. You know, it's kind of funny when we take a step for the Lord and we get to that place of uncertainty where we don't know what to do next. We tend to forget everything the Lord had done to this point. We forget the miracle that he did to get us there. We forget the burden that he put on our heart. We forget all the things that he had done to get us there. We just focus on this situation. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. What do I do? I do what Nehemiah is doing. Survey the land. Survey yourself. Survey your heart once in a while. You know, have you noticed that we had a, when Rebecca and I first got married, we had a, my grandfather's bedroom set, okay? And it was probably a nice bedroom set in 1940. Maybe 50, I don't know what it was. But it was, it was kind of ugly by the time that we got it. But we put it in our bedroom. And you know what happened? After a while, you stop noticing it. You don't look at it. It's just there. It's just the place you put your shirts and socks and underwear. It's just, it's just there. What does it really matter? But every once in a while, you take an account. You take an inventory and you look and you go, oh, that stuff still looks terrible. What are you saying? I'm saying when you live with something every day, sometimes you let things go that you wouldn't normally let go. Nehemiah is taking an account of the city of Jerusalem. We would be good once in a while to take an account of your life. Is there something in there that needs to move? Is there something in there that in my life I need to get out of or in your life that you've just been living with and you've kind of come to accept that it's part of you and it's, it's just that bedroom, it's that old dresser, it's not going anywhere. Maybe it needs to go. Maybe there's a, 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 an emotion. Maybe there's a something in your life, a sin. There's something that you've just kind of come to live with. And you, just, you don't even think about it anymore. It's just what you do. Can I encourage you to, like Nehemiah, survey the walls of your heart. Survey the walls of your life. Has it just been something, ah, it's just who I am, it's no big deal. It's just been doing it for years. God understands, does he? Or is it like the old dresser that you don't even look at anymore? You see, Nehemiah is surveying these walls. He's looking around. And as he's taking a trip at night, why was he up in the middle of the night? I suspect that he couldn't sleep. Don't you know when something's burdening you, you can't sleep either? I suspect he's walking around going, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to handle this. He gets back, then verse 17, he says, then I said to them, this is what he says to them, he says, you see the distress that we are in. In other words, take a look, 
Look around you guys. You guys have gotten used to looking at these broken down walls. Take a look at them. How Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. You see, the people living there, they had gotten used to the fire-burned gates. They had gotten used to the broken down. It's just their neighborhood. You know, you live in a neighborhood. You don't really notice everything around you. Just, you just drive by every day. Now, men are probably worse at that than women. Women notice more than men. Men, we just, up and down the road, we don't pay any attention. You know, my wife could say, hey, someone, someone painted the house. They did. That's the way it works sometimes. This is their life. They've gotten used to it. This is just what they do. This is just where they are. And, and Nehemiah says, hey, don't you see what's going on around you? These gates are lying in waste. These walls are crumbled. In other words, he says, let's rebuild them so we may no longer be, what does he say? Be a reproach? Why were they a reproach? You see, the re when he says they were a reproach, he's not talking about bricks and mortar. He's talking about their condition as God's people. No longer will we have to be shame, ashamed of the city. No longer will we have to live in fear or poverty. We're God's people. We're God's chosen people. We shouldn't need to live like this. We're a reproach. We're not representing who our God is. Let's do something about this. Verse 18. I wonder what they said right away. Verse 18 says, And I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. In other words, what did, what, did, what did Nehemiah do? He testified to them of what God had done to get him to this point. Hey guys, I used to be a cupbearer for the king. You did? That's amazing. What are you doing here? How did he let you go? Why didn't he kill you? Because my God's hand was upon me. Because God put a burden on me for this place. And God has given me a vision for this place. And I've been praying about this. And I've been fasting about this. And now is the time for us to rebuild this city. We've gone away from the Lord. And they just got done with the problem with intermarrying at the end of Ezra. They had just repented that. Perhaps spiritually they're doing okay right now. They're, they're on an upward, upward slant, so to speak. Nehemiah says, now is the time. <coughs> and look what they said there in verse 18. So they said... Let us rise up and build. You're right, Nehemiah, now is the time. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. You're right, Nehemiah, let's build these walls. Let's build the gates. Let's build, build, build. Let's get it done. I see, we see that God is with you. You've come here. Let's get going. What an amazing leader he is. From a prayerful man, to a man with the vision, to a man with the plan. But he's a man who's seeking God. And now he's got the people behind him. He's got the priests behind him. He's got the leaders behind him. What if the leaders had said, nah, we don't think so. We already tried that. Yeah, Nehemiah, just go on back and drink your wine with the king and sit at the king's table and just hang out. He says, no, that's something different. Why? Because God is capable of working in the hearts of all those people. I'm sure those are questions in, that Nehemiah had. But if the Lord calls you to something, don't you know that he's capable of working in the hearts of those people that could get in the way? His plan cannot be defeated. It's God's plan. If it's God's will, it will unfold. You, there's, there's, no, there's no maybe. There's no it might. It's, it, if it's God's plan, it'll unfold. If it's not, it won't. It's that simple. So the people say, let's do it, Nehemiah. Look at verse 19. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, they heard of it. They laughed at us. And they despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? 
Will you rebel against the king? Some of these men had Jewish ties. The highest authority figure in their life was the king, not God. But yet they're here putting down the man who's doing the work of the Lord. If you take a step in faith to do whatever God calls you to do, can I just tell you to expect a sand ballot in your life? It's going to happen. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to tell you you can't do it. They're going to tell you you're crazy for doing it. It's going to happen. It'll, it'll always happen. I've had people, even with me, most of you guys know that I'm going to be moving to Florida at some point in the future to see what the Lord has next for me. He, he's called me. I don't know what's next. And I've had people say, no, that's not right. No, no. You, you don't know. God wouldn't do that. Why wouldn't he do that? We're servants of the, of the Most High. He, he can do whatever he wants to do. If he calls me someplace, he'll let me know what, what I'm supposed to do next when the time is right. I still have the same burden. I still have a heart to teach. I still have the same skills that he's you know, taught me and shown me. But then there's a sand ballot in life. There's a Tobiah in life that says, no, no, that's funny. You can't do that. You're not going to make it. You're, you're foolish. You're, you're giving up something good for something unknown. I, no, no. I'm a servant of the Lord, and so should we all be. God, I'll go where you go. I'll go where you send me. I'll, 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 I'll walk faithful. But there's always going to be those naysayers. There's always going to be those people that say, no, you can't do it. And I love this. Look at his answer in verse 20. So I answered them, and I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. We don't care what you say. God's going to prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, even though you guys may have some sort of Hebrew tie in there for, through family relations, God's going to support us. And because God has called us, we will arise and we will build. But know something, you're not going to have any part of it. You're, you're, not going, to, you're going to miss out. You're not going to be part of it. And in chapter 3, you know what you see? Then Elishib, the high priest, rose up with the brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its, hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated, then as far as the tower of Hanel, next to Elishib, the men of of uh, Jericho built and next to them Zachor the son of the rest of the chapter is they're building 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 they're building they're hanging gates they're building they're hanging gates they're they're restoring the wall they're building and they're restoring the wall God has called Nehemiah to it he's provided the supernatural way for him to get there and now they're doing the work but you know what's going to happen next there's going to be turmoil there's going to our friends that we just met here Tobiah and Sanballat they're going to come against them you know what else is going to happen? Because when you're walking with God, there's turmoil that comes from the outside. But you know where else the turmoil comes from? From the inside. You're going to see that happen as well. And we'll look at both of those things next week. So here's my sort of challenge or my question for you tonight. Where are you at in all this? Do you know what God's called you to do? Are you in preparation and you're waiting? Are you, are you go, look, Rob, I don't have any idea what God's called me to do. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be a godly husband and a godly wife, and I'm supposed to live, you know, a pure life and a holy life. And I know all those things, but what, what you know, what, what is he true? What, what, is there something deeper for me there? That was a question I asked before I became a pastor. You see, I realized that I was working in law enforcement. I was a father. I was a husband. I had kids. I had a house. I had a family. I had friends. I had everything seemed to, everything was okay. But I kind of got to this point where I said, Lord, is there something more? Is there something 
you, know, you created us with a purpose. And, and there's nothing wrong with just doing all those things and ministering in those ways. But I, I had a question. Is there something more in my life that you want from me? It's when he began to put the burden on my heart to teach. And with that burden came the responsibility to learn. You can't teach if you don't know. You've got to learn. With that response, I had to learn, which meant I had to get up early, which meant I had to prepare, which meant I had to wait for the Lord to open doors. And then one day the Lord said, put your house on the market. And then one day the Lord said, the house sold. And then one day I rolled into Cumberland with a moving truck going, now what do I do? I sat for a year. And I waited for the Lord to say, start a Bible study. And I did. And no one came for two weeks. And I kept going back. The third week, somebody came. And I waited and I waited and I waited. Every, all, along the step, all along the way, Lord, what's next? Now your story is going to be different than mine. That's my story. And now I'm going eventually to Florida and I don't know what's coming next. I'll, you'll have to keep in touch with me to find out what he's going to do next. And I, I can't wait to come back and tell you what's happening next. But what has he called you to? Is, is there something that he's burdened your heart with? Is there something that's, you get past the emotion. It's not just an emotional thing that you feel for a day or two. Or, is, there, is there something that he's called you to? She goes, this is a burden on my heart. This is, this is something my life is going to be centered around someday. Or, or it should be, or I want it to be. I would encourage you to start praying, start fasting for it. If you don't know, ask him. You know, maybe it, and, and it's not always going to be something big like, like a pastor or becoming a missionary. It might just be serving in your local church. It might just be serving, ministering. You might be the neighborhood person who has a Sunday dinner at your house and invite the neighbors. That might be your ministry. That, that's, and that's, there's nothing, if that's what the Lord's put on your heart to do, then do it. But don't just go through life acting like the Lord doesn't want us to do anything. Because he does. He's designed each of us, for a, created us for a purpose and for a plan. And I can't tell you what yours is. I can't give you a psychological test and tell you you're strong in these areas and weak in that. Because what I've come to know is the areas that you think you're weakest in, it's where the Lord can show himself the strongest. Where he says, hey, I want you to teach a ladies group, or I want you to teach a Bible study in your neighborhood. I couldn't do that, Lord. He goes, I know you can't, but I can. If you'll put forth the effort and learn, I'll give you the words. I'll give you the understanding. I'll open your mind to things that you never thought possible. I I was never a book reader. I didn't do very good in school. Found a couple of my old report cards recently. They were bad. I didn't want to tell my kids. I didn't want to show them to my kids. I tell them C's are not acceptable. I I was happy with C's. Next week, we'll look at some of these uh, people, both from inside and outside of Nehemiah's life, that try to come against and keep him from accomplishing God's will. And we should know that as we take a step of faith, there'll be those same people in our life. Let's pray. Father, your word is so special. Lord, I see a calling in Nehemiah's life, but yet he's not the only one that you've called to something special, something greater. Lord, I pray that each of us here tonight would be that we would fulfill all that you've called us to be. Lord, may it not be a lack of preparation or a lack of training or a lack of faith or a lack of resources that keep us from doing what you've called us to do. Instead, may we simply pray and fast and wait for you to open the doors, resting and knowing that if it's your calling, you'll open the doors at the perfect time. If it's not your calling, that you won't. And we'd be at peace in both scenarios. Lord, may it be our heart's desire to follow after you. May we long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, would you keep us faithful? Don't allow us to stray to the left or to the right. Keep us in your will. Convict us with the Holy Spirit. And we'd be pleasing to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name.
Amen.